Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, when there are race reviews. Uh, We might be wrong, but we're first. Uh, Coming up this week... We've got our normal live stream at 8pm UK time on Sunday. Watch out international people because there's lots of jiggery pokery going on with the time zones. We're going to go to BST at some time very soon. We're still deciding whether we're going to move our live streams to accommodate the fake races. And I'm personally deciding whether it's worth staying up till one in the morning, editing a show to avoid a video game. Uh, On Friday, we are having our round three of our iRacing event. We've had to move it from Saturday, but you can watch along from 8pm GMT uh, and you can see the likes of myself, Kyle Power, Bradley Philpot will be in there to show you how it's done and we'll also have Matt Trumpets uh, with commentary from Chris Stevens, Catman and Steve will be running a glorious, fabulous video of the race. So do tune into that. Still a few spaces. If you want to join us, email spannersready at gmail.com and you can catch me and Matt three days a week at the moment with our live stream and podcast remain indoors but today it's all about joe a f1 media legend and everyone's favorite f1 uncle good morning joe it's so early it's not early it's nine o'clock in the morning here so it's um it's it's well it's a work day if there was any work um and uh it's not in france everything's rather locked down and has been incidentally for about five or six days so it's really interesting from your point of view, we've spoken a lot about the difference between you and, you know, the guys, the guys who just dwell in sheds and spew out rubbish. Uh, your trade relies on that kind of contact with people in the paddock, them knowing that Joe is a reliable guy in the, in the media to speak to and they trust you. 
How does that work when you've got no access to the paddock? Well, I don't know, to be honest, as yet. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the, the main players are talking to uh, the main magazines, which is normal. You'd expect that. Um, and I haven't gone out of my way to talk to anybody of late, to be honest, um, because I don't think there's a huge amount that can be said. I think what, what we're seeing is a lot of people being optimistic. There's a very nice story about ventilators, which I think is great for Formula One. I think it shows, you know, it shows that uh, they're trying to find uses for their technologies and stuff and help the world at the same time. So that's a good story. Um, otherwise, I think there's just a lot of blah, blah, blah about when we might start again. And to be honest, I don't think we're going to start before the summer break. And I'd be amazed if we can get uh, 18 races or whatever it is they're talking about. I'd be surprised if we can get eight, to be honest. Uh, well, there we go. Lord Nuka has asked a, a question on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, who sent your Twitter questions in to at MissedApexF1. And sorry that my voice doesn't seem to have woken up yet as well. It's uh, 8 a.m. here in the UK. Lord Nuka asks, where will the line go before they just flat out cancel the rest of the season? Uh, with And with eight races either postponed or cancelled, how will they manage to reschedule uh, between still planned races and possibly move the postponed races and so on? And will all the teams survive it? Um, and that is in contrast, really, to what you're saying, is in contrast to what Kerry has been stating, which is that he's still aiming for a 15-16 race season. Um, is that all just for the for the shareholders? First of all, Chase Carey's job is to uh, make sure that the company is as healthy as possible. And uh, therefore, he's bound to be optimistic. He has to be optimistic. He can't sort of say, you know, we're in trouble. The share price is already halved. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a good place to be. But, you know, fundamentally there's still the underlying value in the sport um now the question is what gets lost if we lose a lot of races i don't see them unless they have to they won't cancel the whole season they might have to um because even though things will get better in some countries the international global travel business you know you've got basically it's got to be clear pretty much everywhere before you start traveling again and that's my opinion anyway um and you know we've got to also get everything in the right places. Uh, we have problems, certainly a lot of problems with the travel industry. Um, there's people on the other side of the world who stayed too long are now finding out. It's quite hard to get home. Um, I was lucky in that I got home on Saturday um, without any trouble, but I know people who are stuck on the other side of the world. Um, so <clears throat> in terms of uh, a realistic approach, I, I I mean, none of us know the answer to this, but what we do know the answer to is that this thing is still accelerating. It's not slowing down. And, you know, even though if it's slowing down in China, we can't just fly off to China with our cars and go motor racing um, because you've got to fly through uh, through places, from places. You've got Italy, which is still a complete disaster, um, and other places which are becoming disasters, uh, including Great Britain, where most of the Formula One teams are. And uh, unfortunately, the prime minister there has has been very he's been dithering around and i think he's been again made the problem a lot worse but that's my own opinion um and i know some people won't necessarily agree with me at least he's better than donald trump but not by much you specifically promised you weren't going to say anything like that joe you super double promised no i didn't i said i was going to say it oh right i I, I think i think they're irresponsible (laughs) and I, i don't you know they shouldn't be leading countries if they behave like this you know this is a serious serious problem and they're just behaving like numbskulls. Anyway, that's, I'm allowed to say that. I'm a private individual. 
I clearly heard what I wanted to hear in in pre-production. Uh, and I'd just like, like to say that obviously we are staying neutral on that. Thank you to everybody in public service, including government workers and officials. I have every faith that they're doing their best yeah. in their I, I'm not questioning that. What I'm saying is that the leadership is rubbish. And uh, that's it. <laughs> morning joe uh right um we've got loads of questions uh, from people and we have some non-corona virus related f1 content for you guys as well joe's going to bring you some of his fascinating facts but joe you were on the ground in australia i would love to hear your experience and i will say a, a, a lot of respect to you from me personally and i think a lot of people um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the guys who were desperately trying to be the ones to break the story and, and, and make that scoop happen. But it was a horribly confusing time for F1 fans. People were just shooting things out left, right and centre. Uh, you seemed very centred. And I, I have to say, uh, there'll be a lot of people out there who would have been waiting till you said something because we know that you are not reactionary. So thank you for that. Uh, but what was it like in that kind of media scrum to get stories and breaking news out? Well, it was it was when we first got there, and I and I I'm not one of these people who think it was wrong to go there because I think at the time everything everyone set off, it didn't look too bad. Uh, and as Andrew Westercott keeps saying, you know, there was a cricket game with eighty six thousand fans in Melbourne uh, six days, well, actually four days before most of us arrived. So, you know. And there, there was a small number of cases and, and, and. I mean, you can look back and you can say it was the wrong thing, right thing. But I didn't think it was a wrong decision. I think it was a right decision to cancel because the minute someone in the paddock had the virus, that makes us a moving bomb. And we don't have a right to do that. So it, the whole thing needed to be shut down as fast as possible. And at that point, I think the teams behaved very well. Um, there was a vote uh, which came out quite close. In fact, it came out uh, four versus four with two abstentions. Although the, the the four against did include McLaren, who wasn't actually at the meeting, uh, but it was counted as being against because they weren't there. And were you like being kept up to date with these things, or were you hearing them via rumor, or were they pretty good with announcements? No, they, they there were no announcements. But you know, there there are times when announcements are not the most important thing. The, the most important thing was to get a result. And what was happening was, as far as I can understand it. Um, Basically, the team said no, which is why you had Vettel and Raikkonen going home almost immediately. The teams fundamentally said, we're not doing this anymore, which was the right thing to say. And the state, which has got a huge amount of money invested in the Grand Prix and all the grandstands, everything built and all the tickets sold, they were facing a humongous, great economic disaster. And so obviously, they kept going as long as they could. And eventually, what happened was the, um, the chief medical officer, uh, the federal chief medical officer said, no more big events. And that was the end of that. And so it was working through these various different um, scenarios and things were changing all the time. And the one thing you notice uh, if you if you listen to what was said is uh, Chase Carey, for example, kept saying fluid and flexible. Everything was changing all the time. Now, as a journalist, we're further down the food chain. So you know, we are not the fundamental um, uh, reason for them to exist. And so we were just picking things up um, as they went along. Now, uh, I left the track on Friday night, quite, quite expecting to go back again on on uh, sorry on Thursday yeah. night, quite expecting to go back on Friday to go motor racing. Um, as, when I was at dinner, things began to unravel, um, and and I actually stayed up the whole night just keeping track of it all because uh, well, Andrew Benson of the BBC, who I I, uh, I recruited originally to Autosport a long long time ago, is a very good journalist. 
and Andrew reported from Formula One group sources that the race was going to be called off. Now, if Andrew did that, he had very good sources, and so I absolutely trusted his word on that. And But the thing was, we then went from uh, about 10 hours when we couldn't get confirmation of this. Yes. And this was, this was the period. It was in the middle of the night, too, remember. So um, I think they were going on negotiating until about 2, and then they stopped, and they started again at 7. And I decided I wouldn't go into the racetrack until I knew if something was happening. But there was a certain amount of confusion because, obviously, the state premier wanted things to go on. So he said, everything's all right. Uh, and Formula One said, well, actually, no, it's not. Uh, and in the end, they had to call the whole thing off, which is the right decision. Um, and I understand that the the uh, Victorian taxpayer is going to take a big hit and the Grand Prix will come in for some criticism financially, but they had no choice. Um, and, you know, it was already built. It was built months ago over a period of time. This is why we've had Monaco and other people who are building their racetracks calling off because you can't invest the kind of money you need to, to, to have a pop-up racetrack and then no hope of it happening. Yeah, so this is the, the street circuits where they have to put time and money and investment yeah. in shutting everything down. Yeah, Monaco and Baku, for, and, and to some extent Montreal, um, they, they just can't waste government money um, sticking that money into building things that may or may not be used. They have to know. And so them calling off is no big surprise. Permanent facilities are easier, but of course the travel bans are so uh, complete now. I don't think there's a single race that can happen at the moment, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a, a, a Western bias arrogance when we talk about, oh, well, China's clear now, we can go there. Well, actually, they don't want us there because they're, they're through no, the bubble. The, the, they don't want us there and we can't go there because how are we going to fly everything there? It's just silly to think that way. Um, and I think that, you know, as the summer goes on, I am I am not expecting to leave here before September uh, at, the very, at the very earliest. So the last thing I'm I'm really interested in from a, a fan point of view, uh, we were watching that all unfold in the afternoon. It's that gap between the Andrew Benson announcement and the official cancellation of the race. W- when did the drivers go home? Which drivers actually went home? Because we heard so many rumours, and I'm I'm hoping that you will know a bit more definitively. We heard that we heard Vettel, and we heard. Uh, Leclerc. Vettel and, Vettel and Raikkonen that was definitely it, yeah. went, went early. But, you know, it depends. I don't know what flights they were on. But usually in Australia, you go out on late night flights um, to go to Europe just because that's when things happen. So, I mean, this last week I went out at 10.30 at night. So I, I, I suppose that uh, Raikkonen and Vettel, because the story was up in the middle of the night, I suppose they went on the on the – uh, Thursday night flights. I don't know that to be sure, but I think that's probably what happened. And Lewis was was seen at the airport on on uh, th- uh, let me think that would be Friday morning, um, right? So basically, uh, you know, I, I fully understand if they know there's not going to be a race, why stick around? And and if they've been told by their teams this ain't going to happen, and I think once the McLaren test thing went through as being positive, I think that was the end of it. And I think most of the teams knew that. And you know, even though, even though, though there were some who wanted to race, the others didn't. And therefore, they were never going to get, even if they voted on it, you need 10 cars to have a race. And they didn't have the votes to get, sorry, you need 14 cars to have a race. You didn't have the votes to get to 14. So basically, whatever happened after that, the race was off. Well, there we go. I mean, that in itself was just an incredible drama. Obviously not great for the people involved, but watching it unfold, 
uh, was something epic and it was something unprecedented and something historic. And, and you were right in the center of it. But obviously there's massive implications now. What does GP Plus magazine do? How did you handle that production? <laughs> well, we produced a 55-page magazine on what had happened in Australia, which is, you know, okay, we didn't have very many moving cars like Zero. Um, but we, we did it, and we, we told the story of what had happened. And uh, we had some uh, features and a historical piece, as we normally have. Uh, we had enough to, to get by. Basically, what happened is that we had two uh, – David Tremaine and I both have a personal column and uh, the two columns expanded outwards to about sort of 10 to 15 pages each, just talking about uh, what had happened, why it had happened. Um, we're going to keep on producing the magazines um, on a not, not every single race weekend because it's you know, silly, but we're going to do as many as we can and we'll have features as much as we can get um, and we'll have historical stuff and we will you know, we're going to keep the spirit of Formula One alive. I mean, telling the story of what's happening even now, there's stuff happening all the time. So, Oh, yeah, it would, um, be, it would be silly to keep going with a weekly F1 production with no races on, wouldn't it? Well, it's a serious problem. It is a serious problem. You're not, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of uh, websites, there's a lot of magazines who are in deep trouble now because the advertising is, has, has uh, yeah, I know. And podcasts. Podcasts as well, but I mean, the only thing about podcasts is the production costs are rather minimal compared to those of magazines well, with staff. They, staff are, they are, yeah. they are, Joe, but also the margins are, are minimal as well. And yes, like I have to I, say, like a lot of the advertisers have just got have just paused. So yes, gonna... I fully understand that, and that's but that's happening across the industry, and so I think we're going to see an awful lot of uh, media disappearing. Um, certainly, there's just no money to do it. Um, in terms of, to go back to the original question a long time ago, how will it affect teams and races? I think, I think we have the potential. You know, if we have eight races of 22, that is about a third of the money that they would normally have. Now, most of these teams, they budget for that prize money. Without it, they're going to struggle. Now, um, if they can find alternative sources of revenues like building ventilators or uh, they may have to lay off staff, some of them. I think that's quite likely. And I think one or two of them are in danger of closing down, particularly if their billionaire backers can't be bothered anymore. Um, so I think, you know, we've got to watch out for Williams. We've got to watch out for Sauber. Oh, I was going to say, there's some questions here about specific teams. So Wreckliff uh, Rec- yeah. uh, is in our chat room, uh, as is Chris, Antoine, uh, Master Noob, DRB, Kedanar. Thank you for joining us early. And I'm assuming we've got some people from the wrong side of the world coming and joining us as they uh, enjoy an evening sherry. So uh, hello to Australia, Southeast Asia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they are asking in here, uh, is there a real danger of Renault leaving this year? So some teams are in real danger. Uh, we can sp- sp- specify Renault uh, in particular. We can specify... Why, why are people saying Renault? Uh, I don't know, but that's the, the third question we've had specifically about no, no, Renault. Renault, all the, all the car manufacturers have invested a huge amount of money to be in Formula One. Their return on their investment is something they can't really afford to throw away. They might have to pause what they're doing. They might have to um, sit down and, and you know have a rethink about the numbers. But I don't see any of the manufacturers. I know, I mean, the other thing is car sales are a complete disaster. Um, and, you know, we're going to see impact on the car industry as a result of this. We already have seen an impact on the car industry. Uh, all the, I think all the car factories in the world have stopped producing. Maybe the Chinese have started again, but, you know, fundamentally nobody's buying cars right now. Uh, 
We've also got an oil crisis going on. Most people, most people haven't spotted that. Um, there is a massive oil crisis going on. Uh, the, the, shortage? No, it, it, it's it, it's a, basically Saudi Arabia and Russia just decided to start printing. <clears throat> no, not printing money. They, they started to, to just pump out oil rather than keeping the price artificially high by holding back on it. The logic behind this is that everyone's favorite U.S. president um, had a had a go at uh, the Russians, and the Russians said, "Well, that's fine. You know, if you're going to do that, we'll do this." Uh, because America's been having a free a free ride on the uh, on the uh, uh, balancing of oil price, which the Saudis and the Russians have been doing, and they just said, "We're not doing this anymore." And so, the oil industry in the U.S. is under big, big pressure at the moment, and some of it's going to shut down uh, because they can't. They, 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 there's a glut. In the world, there's too much oil, and soon they'll have filled up all the tanks and all the oil tankers and everything. And you know, the, there's a theory that they will end up actually paying to get rid of the oil. Wow, yeah, it's a big mess. So, um, you know, I, it, it's I don't know. You, you can take advantage of the situation right now. There is a uh, a lack of oil and a lack of a need for oil in the world because nobody's driving their cars. I mean, it's, it's great for the emissions. Um, but basically, no, very few cars are running, so little oil is required. So maybe it's a good time to do this and have the sort out. I don't know. I mean, the world is going to look very different when we all come out of lockdown, Joe. Uh, I'm dusting off my engineering CV as we speak. Uh, do you have a secondary trade as well? A street performer, perhaps? A, a juggler? No, I write. And as long as I write, um, as long as I write things that are interesting, people will read them. So um I think I'm not too worried about that sort of stuff, to be honest, because writers can turn their hand to anything. I'm still a motor racing writer, but I can write about travel and often do. Um, and, uh, you know, I've written books about non-racing subjects as well. So I don't know. I've been thinking about maybe a, a humorous book about motor racing, something lighthearted, all these adventures that one has along the way or well, I don't know. Well, when I, maybe just fiction, maybe a bit of fiction. When I think Joe Sayward, I think barnstorming, improv humor that's that is the two things that are associated i'd love to see what you could come up with joe um, yeah well i mean you've you've seen me in action live on stage so there you are <laughs> fantastic oh uh, joe uh, you could if you want to to you could do a full review of our iRacing event on february the 27th if you wanted you i could, could you're right you could do a full <laughs> eight page feature uh, with interviews with the drivers and everything, you know, some new personalities coming from esports. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go to esports later. I'll stop you there before you twitch. Before I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not entirely averse to it. I, I, last weekend's um, esports were, were quite interesting because some of it was okay and some of it was not okay. Uh, and I think we need to make sure that you have a sort of professional uh, product coming out, um, which I think probably needs a bit of work in some cases. <laughs> Yes, I agree. Uh, I think that the, the, the highlight for me is uh, has been seeing Jolian Palmer and Jack Nichols. I don't know if you've caught any of their commentary in a studio with boom mics, not hidden behind a radio. The two of those real like young, dynamic commentary crew. I think we're looking at the future of Formula One. No offense to the current you know TV commentators, but those guys, they've got decades ahead of them and they're just a class act. I think one of them is, yeah. Oh, okay. We'll all stop. We'll stop. We'll stop, Joe. Joe, Joe, we'll stop. We'll stop. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Where should we move to next? Uh, let's go back to the teams a little bit. I had an idea. Can, and you'll tell me it's stupid because that's what we do. That is a feature. That is not a bug. 
for all the people who say Joe was mean to me. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. I cry after the show, not during it. How about a cost cap coming in much more severely and much earlier to help the teams survive? Uh to what extent will that be of any value? The biggest the biggest cost for every team is the salaries. And the salaries are you know, where they're going to hurt the most. So um, will a cost cap help? Now, we've already had the, the 2021 rules uh, delayed, which is a good thing to do. Um, we've had the summer break being put early, so that's out of the way, which means we can if there's a possibility of doing anything. It also shuts down the factories at the time when Britain and Italy, Switzerland, they're all on the upwards uh, path. And even um, even Italy's still on the upward path. Um, and, you know, we we just don't know where it's going to end, but it's a good, sensible thing to clear away uh, impediments to the Formula One season. I don't think it's going to mean much for, for months, but at least we don't have a summer break in the way now. Um, not as much as I object to that in principle. Um, you know, we're all in the same boat. I'm not going to, my son lives in California and I'm not expecting to see him this year. So that's just how it is. Uh, and if you're stuck on the wrong side of the world, you're probably stuck there for a lot of months. So, um, you know, I'm, I was very fortunate to get home. I did stay out a week after the Grand Prix. Have a nice uh, Well, chill. actually nearly a week. <laughs> uh, I left on Saturday. So uh, I've only been home for uh, three days, four days. Uh, what was it? Just a, an extended, oh, well, why panic? <clears throat> no, I, it was more complicated than that. But basically, um, I'd already planned to go to Adelaide to see some old friends because Bahrain was coming up. Uh, when when the Grand Prix got cancelled, I said, okay, well, I'll just I'll just keep the same flights because everyone's panicking getting the other flights. It'll be a lot easier just to keep the same one. Uh, glad you're home safe and enjoyed your very last experience of the out-out. Of course, that that is not possible anymore. Remain indoors, you guys. Right, Joe, you do a series of bathroom books. I th- I've upgraded it from toilet books to bathroom books to see if that sits any better Mm -hmm. so that while you're enjoying your your b-day session i I don't know how long b-days take it's a very european thing um (laughs) i'm assuming they take an hour i I have no idea because i don't have anything like that really no okay i won't ask you if it's only it's it's only it's only french hotels that have b-days i think i'm not sure many people have them at home but there you are okay i won't ask you if you fold or scrunch that was for our remain indoors podcast uh joe a fascinating F1 fact. That's what you do with the books. I'm going to, I'm reaching over. I'm shouting so that you can hear me because I'm reaching over. Fascinating F1 facts. That's Joe's book. May as well give it a plug. Is that volume one or two? It's volume two. Uh, right. Because volume, volume one is so well thumbed uh, that it is folded up and creased, I've creased the cover. I've ruined it from reading it so much. Volume two, I've not got to yet. So there we go. Fascinating. Well, volume three and four are coming out fairly soon, uh, as they're both they're both nearly finished, and uh, so I think it's a good time. People need things to read. So uh, in a in a week or two, I think we'll probably have volumes three and four ready to go as well. So that's something. Um, they're already the nice thing about those is they're already written, so I don't actually have to do any more writing. Uh, it's just a matter of doing the production necessary and hoping, incidentally, that the printers are still in business. Um, Although I think it's largely machinery that does it, and it's all rather automatic. But I'm sure there are people who have to shove things into boxes and stuff. I don't know. It's okay. I have to find out. It's okay, Joe. Find out what's possible. Well, we'll find out. But we'll find out about a fascinating fact right now, Joe. You've come mm-hmm. armed with one and or two. Let's have let's have the first one, Joe. Tell us some fascinating facts from F1. 
A fascinating fact. Well, they're largely historical. You have to bear that in mind. But um, there was a man called Leo Kuzmicki. And Leo Kuzmicki uh, was an engine designer who worked on the... Actually, he designed the engines for the Norton Manx motorcycle and then went on to Van Wall um, and ultimately ended up with Hillman and designed lots and lots of very clever engines. And he never really talked about his background because uh, mainly because he was terrified. Um, and so I sort of dug around to find out why there was a story there and discovered that he was born basically uh, in what was um, Austro-Hungarian Empire. but um, it became part of Poland along the way because they were always messing about with these things at that sort of era. And um, basically, the Poles were were a much abused race at that point. And in nineteen, he was in the military. He joined the um, the Russian army. He was made to join the Russian army because the Russians had taken it over at some point too. Actually, Russians had taken over Poland. That's never mind. I'll get there. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> what sort of what sort of era are we in, Joe? We're in the 30s. Right. Um, and uh, basically... You were, you were just a boy then? I, long before I was a boy. Um, my father was just a boy at that point. Anyway, he, he joined the um, the Polish military because it was being taken over by the Russians. And, and basically, that was a really bad thing to do because the, the Russians, um, uh, the Germans, first of all, killed most of them. And the Russians, those who they didn't kill, were sent off to... Uh, uh, camps and poor old Leo Kuzmicki was sent off to Siberia um, and decided that he was going to die there if he didn't do something about it. And so he just walked out. Um, I guess he probably had to escape rather a lot, but he um, he walked out and he basically walked all the way from Siberia right down into. Uh, he was up in the Arctic Circle, um, and Joe Stalin was killing lots of people. So. Uh, basically, he walked all the way from there to, I believe it was Bombay um, in India, which is 4,000 miles, and he lived off the land all the way. Um, and it, it, that gave him uh, problems for the rest of his life health-wise, but he managed to uh, get to Britain on a on a ship from Bombay to Liverpool and arrived in Britain in 1942. Um, and basically, he then began working with the Royal Air Force for a while. And uh, and then he started in designing engines, but he was paranoid. He was totally paranoid about the Russians finding out where he was and that he'd walked out of this camp and they'd send someone to kill him, which is perhaps a little bit unrealistic. But at the time, there were there was a lot of trauma going on. And so he refused to talk about his past and, and you know even didn't take credit for engines that he designed uh, because he didn't want his name to be out there. And uh, so basically, yes, he, he went to Van Wall and he, he did the Norton things and uh, nobody knew any of this. And he died um, in the 19, I think he died actually uh, in 1982. Um, and this story really was not covered until sort of after the Cold War ended, when uh, people began to sort of find out that story. Now, that's one of the amazing fascinating facts i mean can you imagine walking four thousand miles from, from siberia to bombay that involves going over the, the um, part of the himalayan chain as well so just extraordinary joe what i've really picked up oh, from reading those books is a sense of history of the sport and the manufacturing and its roots and and just how different it was in those kind of pioneer times um especially i mean we focus so much on the drivers 
Um, we don't often get the history of the people who really developed it as an engineering concept, as an engineering competition. Uh, but that history is, is just beautiful, beautifully rich and well illustrated in your books. Well, I think I think that there are so many great stories, and and they're not just old ones too. There are modern ones as well. You know, people people have motor racing. People tend to be rather extreme and unusual people because you know to to go off and do it um, is quite a is quite a risk often. Um, and so you'll see engineers and journalists and and all kinds of team managers as well. Uh, PRs. All these people have got remarkable stories behind them, and so yeah, I'm just telling the stories. And there are 400 of them now, so um, that's why there are four volumes. There's 100 per volume, and uh, I hope people enjoy them. And yeah, I mean, if you want to call them uh, bathroom books, that's fine. I don't mind. Yeah, it's something to dip into while you're um while you're sitting there enjoying yourself. Coffee table books. Should we say coffee table books from now on? You can say coffee table okay. books, but uh, I, I get the concept. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of time. Uh, available at the moment and particularly if you're in lockdown in uh, without being able to go out anywhere i'm fortunate i have i'm in the countryside i can walk in the garden and stuff like that but if you're in the city it's not much fun so you need to find things to amuse yourself and also as we found out yesterday bandwidth is a problem because there's with everybody streaming whatever they're streaming um we had trouble doing a podcast yesterday right or day four years ago. firstly if you're out there and you're bored and you're thinking this is the perfect time to start a podcast go away bog off don't do it just don't do it and don't do a stream look you're you're you're, you're not only gonna find out in four weeks that it's really hard work and no one listens to podcasts leave it alone and remember all those big names and big celebrities who are suddenly streaming they won't be here once the apocalypse is over. They'll go back to their regular jobs. Okay, so just ignore them. Stick with us. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Joe, we could learn as well in the apocalypse. Uh, something that has really confused me um, is the McLaren structure. Zach Brown is the front man. He's the man we see all the time. Uh, but you made me aware of some changes at McLaren. Uh, and so that's one question. It's not going to be 17. I just want to get in a plug for uh, Guillemin, who has tweeted us a question about how the 2021 regulations being suspended is going to affect McLaren given that they're going to change engines. Well, they've it's been agreed among the teams apparently that McLaren will be allowed to change the engine, which is sensible. 
Um, but there is basically a restriction on all kinds of development for now and until early next year. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of logical because almost, well, right now, almost all the teams have got nobody working at all. They're all off, they've gone off on their three-week summer break. Uh, Ferrari shut down almost immediately because they're right in the middle of the Italian um, outbreak. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see what happens after that. But uh, I'm not sure how much work there will be for people to do um, when the summer break ends. Um, now, McLaren are going to be changing the engine, so they're going to be, they'll have more to do than others. Um, and it's still a long time before that's necessarily required to be done. You know, they need to have it all sort of sorted out. So the designers will be in working on it. Um, they don't need to be in until a little bit later on, probably in the summer, but they'll be there doing it now. So that's a good thing. In terms of uh, structure, the McLaren structure, um, nothing much has changed relating to the racing team. Uh, what we've seen is a change in the uh, management, overall management of the company, the McLaren company, which includes the car company and the advanced technology company as well. And we have a new chairman in Paul Walsh, who is a, a Diageo man. That's good news, very good news for Zach Brown, because uh, Walsh was the guy who um, basically used Zach to uh, publicize Crown Royal in NASCAR and Johnny Walker. That was one of Zach's deals. So obviously Walsh is a big fan of Zach's, or I presume that to be the case. I don't, I haven't ever met him or asked him, but um, I, I presume that to be the case. And now he's in charge. He left Diageo about four or five years ago and has just been sort of cruising around being a non-exec um, and doing what businessmen do when they're not businessmen anymore. I don't know. But McLaren thought it's a good idea to have him back to to uh, <clears throat> keep things going in a business-like fashion. And then basically, he, he replaces Sheikh um, Mohammed of uh, Bahrain, who is a very astute man, there's no question about that, who has a lot of experience running big companies, not running them necessarily, but being the chairman thereof, I think is a better way of putting it. I think that Walsh is much more of a hands-on man, okay. uh, and, and the Sheikh will become a a non-executive director of McLaren. Um, and there will be other members of the Bahraini business um, world sitting on the board because they own a, a uh, considerable percentage. <coughs> not, I don't think it's, um, I'm not quite sure exactly what the percentage is at the moment. Yes, I mean, there's uh, there are members of the board from Bahrain. Uh, and uh, so it, I don't think it changes much. It just means that uh, Paul Walsh will be, um, executive chairman so he will be running things rather more um directly will will that affect the amount of funding or the the revenue stream available to the team for development i think there's so many people now who have I, w- I wouldn't have thought it'll affect uh yes i mean mclaren are not going to be pulling in the money they were pulling in last year because nobody's buying cars having said that uh they had a lot on order um and they've probably taken a lot of deposits and they may even have taken the money for the entire car. I don't know how their operations are. I'm not a McLaren buyer, but you know, their, their not. main market is the U S and, uh, although that it's not, it's not there. Um, well, it's about half the, the outcome, the, 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 um, uh, total of cars manufactured something like half this year. It's hard to say, but, um, you know, all car companies are taking a hit. Everything has to stop. So exactly what happens and what their cash flow is going to be like, I don't know. So we'll have to see also uh, the way sponsors behave. But a lot of sponsors are sort of going, whoa, just hang on a minute here. 
you know, we don't know what we're going to get. And if you're not going to the races, um, you know, why should we pay you? Which is fair enough. Having said that, there are probably clauses in all these contracts for force measure and acts of God and all this sort of stuff. So there's lots of discussion. Um, you know, they don't kind of, they don't really tell us what's in contracts. So it's rather hard to know um, which particular sponsorships um, will stop and which won't stop. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really weird. Like, there's no rules for, for anything that we can apply from our previous knowledge to what will happen this season. And it's it's so strange that people are already asking questions about the driver market. Do you, do you think that people are, like, freezing that? They're just like, it's no chat about driver markets happening. Now. I don't think anyone's even thought about it, to be honest. I mean, there are more important things to worry about, like how the hell are we going to keep our staff employed and things like that, uh, and how are we going to pay for it all. So I, you know, I think probably... Um, one thing which was happening before the slowdown, um, slowdown before the well, it is Locked a slowdown. Out. It's a fairly dramatic slowdown, isn't it? <laughs> before the virus hit, um, is the fact that uh, the driver salaries are fundamentally all coming down, apart from the megastars. Two or three of them um, have been earning megabucks, but the rest have been very moderate, um, with the exception of. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, who's very lucky with timing. But generally speaking, uh, the driver value, unless you are Lewis Hamilton, um, Vettel's value will be coming down enormously. Um, but the Leclerc's and the Verstappen's are, are still going to be small numbers compared to Lewis. Uh, so Vettel had his co- uh, contract extended, did he? Uh, as far as I know, no. No, no. As far as I know, he's still coming to an end at the end of uh, 2020. Oh, okay. oh, right, because there was um, there was some talk because... Because Vettel's family had gathered there at testing that they were going to announce. There was a big thing during testing. They were going to announce a new contract and then they never did. Well, I don't think at that particular moment, I don't think, uh, I mean, Sebastian might like to have, Sebastian might like to have a a contract, but uh, he didn't have one in the time available. I think uh, Ferrari wanted to keep him um, if he, if he, performs well well we, we don't know if he's going to perform well so fundamentally i'm not sure that uh we'll see any change it depends on the numbers i suppose um you know if we only have a few races or no races at all this year how can we say whether he's getting better or getting worse you know so and in such circumstances it's generally better to um better the devil you know than signing somebody else so we'll see all right joe uh, there is a five race season. It's just been announced. You, you've missed it because you've been busy doing this podcast. But I, I am on the bubble. Uh, I've just heard from the FIA. They've called me here in the shed and they've said uh, there's five races that we're going to have for the rest of the season. Um, please ask Joe which five. He's going to pick for us and we'll go with it. Which five races are we going to have for a dynamic, dramatic uh, end of season non-championship finale? Well, there will never be that situation because once you get under eight, it's not going to happen. So we won't have any races yeah, less eight, than eight. Uh, having said that, I will, I will go through. No, no, if it's not a world championship, what's the point? It's just wasting money, which is where the, the way the teams look at it, which is why there are no non-championship races anymore. Okay? So there is no value in five. If it's eight or more, yes. Okay. Now, you're only allowed I, to pick If five. I have five <laughs> that I have to choose, I would choose Spa because it's great. I would choose Suzuka because it's great. I would choose um, Baku because it's always interesting. I'm not sure it's great, but it's an interesting race. If there's a crash. Well, no, 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 it's not even that. It's, it's these things are just hurtling through the middle of a town. It's it's quite dramatic. 
Um, what else would I choose? Um, Austria usually produces a good race. So how many is that now? Four? That's four, Joe. Yeah. Um, w- when I did this with the panel, they all chose uh, the Red Bull ring as well. So interesting that. I, it wasn't on my list at all. Okay. And the final one, uh, hmm, I suppose I have to say Silverstone because Silverstone is, um, it, it does have good races. It's not as good as it used to be as a racetrack but it still has good races and it still has huge numbers of fans willing to go there. So yeah, those were the ones and it's, it's around the corner from everybody's house. So if there's only five races, it's cheap. Yeah. Um, it's an hour from me. So uh, yeah, let's keep that one. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that, that would be a choice. I, the thing about it, it's when people ask me, it's the same question, really. What's your favorite racetrack? And it's impossible to say because I like different racetracks for different reasons. Um, and, you know, I love going to Melbourne, but it's not a great racetrack. Uh, I love well, it's not. Yeah, but Joe, the live stream, because we're doing it in the morning, it's all Aussies in the chat room. We're going to get well, they'll, killed now. they'll probably agree with me. <laughs> um, you know, they are thinking of changing, or they were thinking of changing uh, at the, the circuit in Albert Park uh, in order to make it more easy to overtake. And I think that's a wise thing to do because it, it, it hasn't produced good races for a long time. It does produce very good races in other championships, for example, Um they are. They have the Supercar Championship, which we didn't see this year. We did see uh, a championship called S Five Thousand, which is a new single seater championship with five liter engines, make a lot of noise, Ooh. very twitchy cars, and uh, a lot of people were quite interested in this. We saw them do a couple of practice sessions, um, and it, it, it's a, it's kind of dramatic to watch. And and then somebody said um, they're going to race these things at Bathurst, and everyone went, "You what? Are yeah, they we, mad? We best not." Uh, yeah, it's like Formula 5000 in the 70s. It's just kind of bonkers thing to do. But, you know, good for them for having that sort of stuff. So, and, um, you know, maybe there's a future worldwide for S5000. So maybe knows? maybe we should say that it that it's not, not a good track. Maybe we should say it's not a good track for modern Formula 1 cars. Well, yes, but that is that is given in that I'm what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just, um, I'm just fending off some emails, Joe. So uh, that's, that's fine, fine. Whatever. I mean, you know, we're, 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 if you look at the overtaking statistics in Melbourne, you'll see it's not very good. So um, I don't think it's even an argument. I think it, it is not a very good racetrack. Now it is, it's a very nice racetrack to visit. It's a great atmosphere. It's a great city. It's great fun, but it's not a great racetrack. To be fair, all the Aussies are agreeing with you, Ricky Buxton. Hello, Ricky. Uh, lots of new names here that we don't normally get to speak to. Uh, Aussie here definitely agree the track needs changing. Changing turn one and two would be a good start. Um, and Master Noobs yeah. defending it, saying it's modern F1 cars that are problem, the problem, not the tracks. Good to see, though, that Monaco didn't make your list. When it comes down to it, you agree that Monaco's rubbish. No, I don't. That's what Monaco, I heard. Monaco is... You snubbed uh, it. No, Monaco is an absolutely key element to Formula One. It is there are two things that you can't have um, Formula One without. One is Ferrari, and one is Monaco, because without either of those, um, <clears throat> it wouldn't be a real Formula One. I'm so triggered Mon- right now. <laughs> hang on, hang on. But anyone who's been to Monaco, and and you can run, you know, anyone who's been to Monaco, send messages into Spanners and tell him that you've got to go there to understand why it's, it's absolutely amazing. And just if you sit at home and watch it on TV and you say there's no overtaking, that's not the point. The point is these guys are doing lunatic things in very short, in very small spaces. And yes, there's no overtaking because they're also good at doing it. But it is an extraordinary challenge. And 
And the day we lose Monaco, Formula One will be certainly um, a lot less healthy. I'll just point out that you just told me to look at the stats for the Australian Grand Prix on overtaking as proof of why it wasn't suitable. But that's fine. Monaco's got something else that you think overrides that. Yeah, Monaco, is. it's been going since 1929 and it's insane. It is totally insane what they do. And you have to go and see it to appreciate it. And even if you go there and there's no overtaking, you will go home going, wow, that's, because that's, that's really important. See, I'm the ultimate challenge, Joe. If you really want to make that point, then you should hire me as your suitcase carrier for the weekend. And if you can convert me, then you can convert anyone. I'm not doing this for my own selfish purposes, Joe, to get to Grand Prix. I am doing a public service is what I'm doing. Well, I'll bear that in mind. Yes. Your bags look um, awfully heavy. <laughs> Well, I feel I feel sorry. I mean, I, I, we had to cancel the uh, our accommodation uh, yesterday, um, and a very nice man who l- rents us a villa every year uh, near Monaco, and we stay there, and it's very reasonable. And we basically had to say, "Sorry, there's no money for you this year." Um, he understood. It's like that, you know. Everyone's got these things happening. Um, I think my my high point of the year so far in Formula One terms is I never booked anything to go to Vietnam. I didn't book a flight. I didn't book a hotel because I wasn't willing to uh, invest the money right. because I wasn't convinced it was going to happen at any point. So, um, and I kept looking to see if there was stuff available, and there was plenty available. So basically, um, I didn't put any money down. But lots of people put money down on lots of hotels, and they've lost it. You know, getting it all back is very hard. Oh, well, no, I'm sure the FIA have set up some kind of relief fund for the freelance journalists that promote them all year round. Yeah. Right. No? Okay, fair enough. Uh, Joe, obviously... Oh, it's, not- it's certainly something we could talk about. Um, next time Next time we have a media working group, I shall bring it up and see if the FIA is willing to put a couple of million into freelance journalists. Somehow I think they might not. Okay. But they, they, they much prefer to spend it on Jean Todd painting zebra crossings and stuff like that. Uh, one of your, your colleagues, uh, Mr. Chris Medland, uh, was saying here on this shed about, about your media group there, which I didn't realise is that you established people can kind of have a say on who, what new people get accreditation. I had absolutely no idea that we were behind. Well, we don't know that's not true. Well, it used to be the case. Uh, self-policing is a very good way of doing it. But at the moment, we don't have that. We did have it um, some time ago, and then they, the FIA decided it, that they would make all the decisions. Uh, that might was, be what he'd said, actually. That might which be what was he a, said. Which was a bad idea. Uh, and I think, uh, and we've been saying to them, look, let us do it, because we're not we're not going to keep people out if they're good and, they're, and then they earn the job. Uh, we're going to uh, encourage anybody who's, who wants to join in and do it properly, but we are going to um, control uh, a little bit. Self-policing is much better than, than allowing people who don't know what they're doing to police things then you get the people who deserve to be there much more. However, we don't have that right and we don't have that uh, responsibility because it is also a responsibility. But we used to in the old days. For, for many years, for, for 20 years, the what was then known as the uh, media, uh, press, it was known as the press commission in those days. And they got cancelled completely by one idiot who passed through the job for 10 minutes. Um, and uh, so you know, You've got to say the name. You can't, you can't leave our listeners to do research. No, actually, I've made a mistake. It wasn't. It was cancelled by somebody else who wasn't entirely as bad as the other one who went. I mean, there's a number of people who passed through that job who just done daft things. One one of the daftest things of all was to uh, to allow them the uh, the press conferences to be to be televised by Sky yes. and giving away our rights. Yeah. That that was disastrous, and uh, the person responsible for that 
really hopefully he never gets another job anywhere in motorsport to be honest because he doesn't deserve one I just wish you'd give us your, your opinions and just tell us what you actually think, Joe. It's annoying oh, when you, when I am. you hold you back. Can look, you, you can look it up and find out who it was, but, you know, it's just it's just stupid. It's stupid because it basically undermines the media completely. Um, now, you can argue that, that Sky is media as well, but Sky is only getting all the access they get because they spend more money than anybody else, and it's as simple as that. You know, they have fi- they have far fewer viewers than most of the people sitting in the readers, equivalent of readers, most people sitting in the press office have more readers than Sky has viewers, um, yep. which is true. <laughs> and yet, because they pour a pile of money into Formula 1, they get all the access, which, which is I, wrong. Do you, do you have any figures to hand? Do you roughly know how many people tune into Sky races? <clears throat> no. No, I don't. But, I mean, it, it's certainly, it is certainly far less than the readership of, of The Sun or The the Daily Mail. I mean, everything's plunging at the moment, but, um, you know, it's just small numbers compared to some of the publications in the world. Now, okay, they they, they, they wall-to-wall coverage of everything, um, you know, fair enough, but it's just, you know, fundamentally, I suppose that if you are uh, making money out of the sport, they are kind of perfect because they give you a pile of money um, and they give you coverage. And the little blokes... Uh, and the, well, they're not all little blokes, but the, the big newspapers—they'll um, give you coverage, but they don't give you any money. So, um, if you're running the Formula One group, money is what you want. Absolutely, Joe. Obviously, during this time, this enforced shutdown of Formula One, we're not going to have the rich wealth of news coming out. I would love it though if you would still pop in and perhaps give us like little twenty-minute. 30-minute updates, now we know that we found a time slot where France isn't isn't using the internet and we can have a chat, even if it means me being all croaky-voiced in the morning. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm very happy to do that. I'm not doing a lot else. I'm gardening, I'm cooking, I'm going to be writing a bit, tidying things up, um, and well, it's, uh, it's Obi-Wan, entertainment. Obi-Wan Young asks, uh, with the season now looking doubtful, do you? Ha- what's that project you have that's been on the back burner that you now intend to get started on? <laughs> I've got a load of them, but uh, in one of the uh, there's, there's a there's a barn on my property. I can't do much in terms of rebuilding things because uh, all the DIY stores are shut, so it's kind of difficult to get the equipment you need. However, there, there is an old forge um, in one of them, and I keep meaning to sort of tidy it up and make it look nice and and see if it'll work even. Um, so that's one project I have with the garden mainly and and clearing up all the mess and going through all the family photos that I'm supposed to have done years ago. And I've got lots to do. So and um, working on and that. writing and writing now and then. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm no shortage of things to do. Lots of kind of random F1 questions coming in from the chat room. Uh, what I'm going to do is I will put out a tweet uh, before Joe comes on next. I'll do it in plenty of time and we'll collect some non-coronavirus-related news uh, so that we can stop talking about the fact that we should all remain indoors. If you are remaining indoors, check out Joe's book, Fascinating F1 Facts. Uh, You also wrote a novel uh, called Something Something Saboteur Something Something. It's not a novel. I I didn't read it, Joe. I'm not a reader. I don't really read. The Grand Prix Saboteurs, it's called. And it is the story of real racing drivers who became secret agents in World War II. And it took me 18 years of research to find out. And they're not just piffling little racing drivers. These are Le Mans winners, Monaco Grand Prix winners, proper top-level drivers who became secret agents and who died doing it. 
two of the three of them. So it is an extraordinary book. Uh, an extraordinary, well, it's not an extraordinary book. It's the extraordinary story told by me. Whether that makes it a good book or not, I don't know. But the story is remarkable. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, if you haven't read it, read it because it is it's just a remarkable tale of the kind of people who used to be grand prix drivers you know who who take risks as though they you know jumping out of airplanes in the middle of the night to no reception committee no lights on the ground and, and wondering whether your parachute is going to land in the trees and stuff like that that's just before you meet any germans you know so smoke me a kipper i'll be back for breakfast that's the kind of thing they said uh yes well they didn't they didn't actually get back for breakfast generally because you know that was the pilots who would do that because obviously you leave the you leave the agents behind you know <laughs> that's right thank you very much for that joe uh, we will catch up with you soon uh, go and check out gp plus magazine i'm sure there's some uh, amazing value still to registering to a gp plus magazine. Well, I'm, I'm also still running my my weekly newsletter called jsbm which is flatoutpublishing.com. You can find it. I'm still running that which is basically analysis of of all the news going on in motorsport worldwide not just formula one so um, it costs a bit of money, but it's worth it. I often break stories long ahead of time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, something to read if, if you're in the industry particularly. A lot of my readers are actually teams and federations and uh, other things, sponsors, these kind of people. Oh, I can't them. wait for the days I can afford that, Joe. Okay, maybe after, after the apocalypse is over and we, we've got food money again, and, uh, you know, because otherwise my little tree face will be there going, Papa, Papa Ricky, because that's what they call me, Papa Ricky. Uh, can we have food today? No, I need Joe's magazine because he won't give me mates rates on his newsletter. Cause he's Hang really- on, I, I, I will arrange to send Red Cross parcels to you. No, send the newsletter. If you're going to go to that effort, just send the newsletter, Joe. No, no, I thought tin milk and spam. You know, all the things you can find in supermarkets these days you don't want. That'd be good. Those children, they need feeding every day. (laughs) Uh, We uh, here at Missed Apex Podcast, we are going to be busy over the course of the lockdown as well. We'll keep you at least in weekly content. And we're going to be keep keeping up with our iRacing, which we were doing before it was cool and trendy. Uh, You can join us by registering with me, spannersready at gmail.com. Still a few places for the Friday one, and it will be live streamed at 8 p.m. GMT on Friday. On Sunday, we will be here with Matt Two Rumpets, Kyle Power, and Gemma Hatton. Now, Kyle Power promised you the two stroke episode. So he's going to be bringing you some two stroke engine content then. And Gemma Hatton, of course, is an ex Pirelli tire engineer and ex Mana team member. Uh, we'll be inputting some tire data on what we're going to be doing next season uh, for, for the tires and how they might have to adjust to that change in regulation. So it'll be a good show, Sunday, 8 p.m. GMT. If you want any non-F1 content and you enjoy listening to me and Trumpets, we have a thrice weekly live stream at the moment. It's a live stream and podcast feed called Remain Indoors. We're chatting about some of the lighter things we find around the internet and just having a catch-up. It's a show about nothing and everything, and hopefully it's something to keep you occupied during this uh, lockdown. Remain Indoors podcast. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, by searching for Richard Reddy if you would like to subscribe on YouTube, or you can search for it on your podcast app. It's not quite there yet uh, on iTunes, uh, but you can go to the pinned tweet at Spanners Ready on Twitter, and you can find the details of how to subscribe there. Wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe and me. 
My lovely, lovely wife was completely thrown by the fact that I was doing a live stream, right? And she just didn't know that I was doing it. And she's brought me this lovely, look at that. Like a, a, a egg McBacon. I've called it a muck because... Well, you're completely spoiled. As yeah, well, I know. Look at that. Know. And I've just been watching it go cold. <laughs> but it looks lovely. I can't wait to eat that cold right now. Can you microwave a muffin? Why did I call it a muck muffin? I'm such an idiot. There we go. They're all shut now. No McDonald's. No McDonald's for everyone. No beers on the shelves. Rubbish. Well, maybe people will slim down too. Who knows? I've lo- honestly, I've honestly lost weight so far because mm. I keep going to the cupboard and going, "No, these are precious resources for my children. I cannot take them away." <laughs> yeah. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market